Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of The Daily Dialectic, hosted by me, Theodore, Ted, Edward, Theo, Matrakis. Uh, this is the philosophy podcast named after Daily, but it comes out, you know, every couple months or so, because I'm busy, alright, and my time is very valuable. But, here I am, in my chair from Ikea, that I put together myself, because, uh, like Jesus, I am a carpenter now. Um, in my new apartment, where I have a window I can look out of, and it's near a tree, so my mental health is explosively good right now. Um, and I wanted to check in with my enormous audience, who has been desperately waiting for a new installment. Um because, you know, Roe versus Wade got repealed, and I think that's kind of <laughs> kind of interesting, to say the least. Um, and my point here is basically that people are people seem surprised by this extreme right wing shift that's happening. Uh, but I'm not surprised, and it's just going to keep continuing. So I wanted to talk a bit about why that is and go through some political history of the last uh, few years or so. Um, and that's basically going to be it. So again, people seem surprised by this extreme right-wing shift that's happening, but I think this became inevitable back in 2015, 2016, when the Democrat party managers screwed Bernie Sanders over. I say Democrat party managers, uh, instead of Democratic Party managers. Trump started calling the Democratic Party the Democrat Party uh, just to, like, fuck with them on that fundamental level. Uh, he was like, folks, Democratic sounds too good for those people, okay? Call them Democrat. Um, I kind of like that. Anyway, so they did screw Bernie over during the election cycle in 2016 and 2020 uh, in all kinds of ways. And it was well-documented at the time. And there was this, you know, small group of people on the internet, act activists or whatever, who were aware of it and who were documenting it, but it didn't really matter. Um, and so I think that was really the last chance for some kind of moderate social democratic reforms that the majority of the American people could support. But the Democratic Democrat party managers decided to screw Bernie over and install the very unpopular Hillary Clinton, who has never been liked by anyone except for the expert technocrat class. And everyone knew she was going to lose, except for, again, you know, this small class of people who are called experts, but they really don't know anything that's fucking going on. Um, and that's really what neoliberalism is. It's when experts are given all this power, even though they're totally clueless, and then they're shocked that things keep getting <laughs> keep getting worse. Uh and so everyone with a brain knew that that was a moment for real choices, and Hillary Clinton was a fake choice. This is not to say that Trump was real in any way, but he was real in terms of being something that would fuck with the system. And he certainly did that. Bernie would have too. You know, Bernie was not perfect, and he's not like a communist. He's not Lenin or Che Guevara or whatever. He's not Mao. Um, but he was certainly to the left of Hillary Clinton and certainly threatened corporate power in a way that Clinton or Trump never would. 
so, you know, once it was between Clinton and Trump, of course Trump was going to win. Uh, and Trump loaded the courts with right-wingers, and now we're seeing the results of that. With this repeal of Roe versus Wade, uh, there was a gun decision that the Supreme Court passed recently um, saying that, you know, uh, making it easier for people to carry guns, <laughs> basically. Uh, and people seem shocked by this. But they shouldn't be. This was made inevitable when the Democrats decided to install Hillary Clinton over Bernie Sanders. So everything that's happening now comes from that. And you can't blame the right wing. You can't blame people who supported Bernie. You can blame the Hillary Clinton faction of the Democratic Party. Uh, it's their choice. They are the reason that this is happening now. They need to be blamed. They need to be held accountable. But they never will be because they control everything. And they always think that they're the victims. They're still blaming Susan Sarandon for, you know, supporting Bernie Sanders and for drumming up all this criticism of the corporate Democrat Party and so on. They're just going to keep pointing fingers and never hold themselves accountable because that's the one thing they can never do. Again, they always have to portray themselves as victims, even though, again, what's happening now is their fault. And there isn't going to be another chance for, you know, a left-wing populist insurgency to take power. 2015, 2016, that election cycle, that was the one chance. Then it sort of repeated again in 2020, but Bernie 2020 was kind of a, I don't know, nostalgic thing, and it didn't really have the same momentum. He, he was still close, but, you know... 2016 was the, was the time. Um, so that was the decision point for hard left or hard right. And the hard right won, and there's no going back. That was the moment of real populist choice. It was Trump or Bernie. And the Democrat, liberal media, and political elite didn't let the people make that choice. But populism was going to win at that time, no matter what, left or right. Because people had had eight years of fake populism, liberal managerial elite, politics masquerading as some kind of genuine thing with Obama, and they weren't buying it anymore, and they never will again. So we could have had left-wing populism if the choice had been between Bernie and Trump. Bernie absolutely would have won. Every poll from 2016 shows that, and Trump was and is a very flawed political figure. Uh, so it wasn't inevitable that he was going to <clears throat> beat Bernie. Bernie had been this principled guy for decades. There's a whole new wave of Democrat, Democratic Socialist beanie babies like AOC and so on. But they will never get the kind of majority support that Bernie had because Bernie was divisive, but in the right ways. He was divisive in a way that brought people together. He was divisive in a unifying way. And that's very advanced, what I call dialectics, to be divisive, but in a synthesizing and cohering way and the you know beanie <laughs> beanie baby democratic socialist aoc bullshit people who are kind of coming in the wake of the popularity of bernie sanders they will never be able to do that they'll never be divisive but in a mass populist unifying way 
they're divisive, but in ways that aren't productive. Bernie was divisive in a productive way and in a unifying way. And nothing is rarer than that. And part of the reason that there will never be another Bernie Sanders is because the way that the left operates now would destroy someone like that before he got a chance to establish himself. Like Bernie wrote some weird erotic fiction or song lyrics when he was a young man, maybe even in college or whatever. Um, And they tried to cancel him over that in 2016. They were like, oh, you wrote about an orgy 50 years ago. So you're problematic and it's bad that you're trying to, you know, challenge corporate capitalism because you wrote some erotic bullshit 50 years ago. (laughs) Like that's how fucking shameless these woke people are. Um, So they tried, but it didn't work. They ultimately had to like resort to other cheap tricks to screw him out of the nomination. Um, But if he was just starting his career now, he would have been immediately canceled for doing that permanently, even though it's not actually a real problem. Um, He wrote something like, oh, a woman is fantasizing about having all of her holes filled simultaneously. I don't know. (laughs) It's fucking weird, but not an actual problem. Uh, But if there was like a new Bernie Sanders-esque figure who is coming up now uh, and he wrote something like that, as men do, you know, men and women, people have sexual thoughts. Um, And so any real person who has expressed themselves in a way that's less than perfect, less than corporate friendly, Um, will be destroyed, basically. And I think that's really what cancel culture is. It's like extending human resources, HR, corporate compliance guidelines to every waking moment of everyone's life. And if you've ever done something that isn't totally corporate uh, compatible, then you're not allowed to be part of society and certainly not of politics anymore. Um, That's really what it is. And so in some weird way through wokeness, like corporate compliance standards have become like the standard operating procedure of the left, which is very strange. Like if you want to be part of the left, you have to be corporate friendly in this very deep way. Um, but Bernie was able to be sort of grandfathered in around that Yes, he wrote some problematic song lyrics years ago, uh, but he was well-established, and so he didn't you know, have to worry about being uh, destroyed by that. But anyone who is just starting out now would be destroyed by it. And so again, there needs to be another Bernie Sanders to do kind of left-wing majority populism, but there never will be. It will never exist because of the logic of the left itself. The left needs someone like that, but the left also ensures that he doesn't exist. The best we'll get is a fake left populist like AOC, um, who, you know, went to Boston University, this private school, uh, had this very elite pedigree. She was an intern for Ted Kennedy, um, worked for these elite think tanks, and on and on and on. Um, There was this mythology about her that, oh, she was a bartender from Queens, but that was fake. She was a bartender for a short time. And I think she was like a part owner of the bar too. Uh, so she wasn't like this actual populist figure. She's a woman 
and not white. And so, you know, that was a big part of the mythology of her being this kind of outsider. Um, same old shit. And that's the only kind of figure that left-wing populist politics will ever promote, ever. There will never be someone like Bernie Sanders ever again. And he's, again, the only thing that could stop right-wing populism from dominating. But he's done himself, and anyone like him will never exist because he won't be allowed to exist. And so right-wing populism is just going to keep winning all kinds of victories in ways that seem shocking, like Roe versus Wade being repealed seems shocking. Like, how did this happen? Where did this come from? Um, but again, the point of what I'm saying now is that it's uh, inevitable. And so populist energy is just going to keep being channeled in this right-wing direction for the foreseeable future. The future of American politics is right-wing populism. So if you want to, I don't know, be a content creator, journalist, media-adjacent person, whatever, definitely just go in the right-wing populist direction where you're not like a mainstream Republican. You're not like, I don't know, Ben Shapiro or Charlie Kirk because they're basically mainstream Republicans. Um, Not that, but essentially you are that, but you're posturing as something different than that. That's the sweet spot to be in. Uh, And there's a lot of money behind it. Peter Thiel, the libertarian... um, tech billionaire guy. He bankrolls all kinds of new media people who seem different and vaguely leftist and whatever, but they're just, you know, repackaging libertarianism uh, for this new generation. Um, And so that's all that's gonna, you know, keep happening. Now, this is not to say that right-wing populism has any validity or any substance. It doesn't. It's all very repetitive, complaining about wokeness and cancel culture. That's basically all it is. But liberal politics is nothing but being woke and canceling people. And so both sides are equally superficial. But the right-wing critique of it at least exposes the emptiness of those things. And so it has more truth to it, even though it's still empty in itself, because it's just holding up this mirror to liberal, fake, woke, cancel culture politics. So pointing out the fakeness of others is better than just being fake yourself. But again, this doesn't mean that pointing out the fakeness of others means that you're not fake. You're still fake, but you have the advantage of pointing out the fakeness of your opponent. So it's better to... So basically the choice of American politics is either being fake, left-wing, or pointing out the fakeness of the left. And... That's what right-wing populism sort of is. And so there's a lot of cultural space there in pointing out the fakeness and emptiness of the left, trying to negate the left in various ways. And it's kind of endless because the left has been the chosen um, basically skin for corporate capitalist America to wear for a long time now. Because corporate capitalism is completely evil. They will, you know, destroy everything just to keep making profits. But they need some kind of moral, uh, artificial posturing to use. And leftism is what they've chosen. And of course it's fake. Everyone knows it's fake. But they're never going to admit that. And pointing out the fakeness of it um, is kind of endless. 
And so that's why right-wing populism will continue to win. And this kind of mirror tactic of right-wing populism is effective because the left refuses to engage in materialist economic politics and keeps doubling down on woke identity politics. The right just has to keep exposing that for the emptiness that it is. And this is crystallized around the trans issue in recent months, especially. I feel, it feels like I'm hearing more about trans stuff than I ever have. Um, and I think most people are sick of it because there's so much hyper-focus on it. But it really does kind of encapsulate everything that's going on. But it doesn't matter that it's so repetitive and people are sick of the hyper-focus on this one trans issue. It's good media spectacle. And right-wing propaganda engines that have been developed over the last 25 years are perfectly suited to keep feeding people this. And liberal, this, you know, outrage over trans stuff. And liberal and left propaganda has nothing to compete with it. They try to hold Trump accountable. They try to take the high ground. That's all that liberal, left, democratic media has become about in recent years. And that's all it's going to be about. Trying to take the high ground, trying to, you know, hold Trump accountable. But it's all fake and it's not popular. Like they're doing the January 6th hearings now, but nobody cares like, nobody's paying attention. Um, they're just doing it for themselves. The same, like, expert class that thought Hillary Clinton could win, they're the ones who think that it's important to relitigate January 6th. Nobody actually gives a shit. Um, liberals haven't learned their lesson, lesson because it's all just the same Mueller gate, Russia gate, whatever bullshit from years ago. Um, and that seemed more popular at the time because Trump was in office and it was only popular because he was like responding to it on Twitter. And so it was this whole kind of show, but now he's gone and there's still all they have is talking about him, but Trump isn't even that popular anymore. He's on truth social doing all kinds of retarded bullshit. And he's trying to like promote these, you know, Trump loyalist politicians and all these different elections all over the country. And some of them are winning, but for the most part, his uh, endorsement isn't really doing that much. So Trump himself isn't even that popular anymore. Um, all that's popular is hating and negating the left. And Trump was a big part of that, obviously, but it's bigger than just him. So there's a lot of cultural and political and social space there in terms of fighting against the left. Uh, and so liberal left Democrat propaganda is still fixated on Trump, this figure who will continue to decline in popularity because they have no substance of their own. They don't believe in anything or stand for anything, and they never will. It's all just photo ops. Um, you know, they love racial politics and sexual identity orientation politics because they can dedicate a special month to it or have some photo ops, maybe set up a special committee within a corporation that meets once a quarter they don't actually want to change anything. And if you go into any big financial or real estate corporation that has the superficial focus on racial justice or sexual orientation or whatever, the people in the office don't actually want to talk about those issues. Maybe for a month, they'll change like the banner display on their website to have like a certain flag or whatever. And maybe they'll have like one training seminar that you have to go to. Um, but if you actually go around and talk about Malcolm X at like a financial or real estate office on like a random Tuesday in, you know, 
September or whatever. Um, no one's going to want to hear it. <laughs> it's just going to make them uncomfortable and they're going to want to get back to the work of, you know, helping corporate capitalism destroy society. Um, so again, all that Democrats have is this superficial bullshit and it's just a mask for capitalism to wear. And as capitalism continues failing, um, the extent to which these things are just masks becomes more and more obvious. Like this Pride Month that is happening right now, June 2022, for example, seems like the heaviest propaganda push that I can remember. Uh, and the economy's worse now than it's probably ever been, or at least than it's been for many decades. Like, especially in New York, you can really notice this, but everywhere, like, you know, a sandwich costs like $15 in Manhattan. Like, how are people supposed to fucking pay for this? How long are people going to put up with this? Like, we're very much, very clearly at the breaking point. If you talk to a cab driver or an Uber driver, like, the price of gas, it's like totally destroying them. Um, everyone is pushed to the absolute limit in a way that they really haven't been in recent memory. And still all we hear about is, oh, we have to, you know, place more importance on acceptance of marginalized people. But everyone is marginalized now by the failures of capitalism. And so this hyper-focus on these selected, protected marginalized groups and classes uh, is not real politics. <laughs> and it's going to be exposed more and more. But again, they have nothing else. And so as everyone starts to suffer the effects of capitalist degradation, and at the same time, there's more focus on oh, these certain marginalized groups, we have to listen to them. Um, the audience for left negation and the critique of the left is just going to keep growing. And so that's, you know, that's why this right-wing uh, swing that's happening now with Roe versus Wade being repealed and other things, it's not just a bump along the way. It's not an aberration. It's the inevitable logical consequence of a long series of events. And again, it's not temporary. It's not going away. And it's just going to get worse. Like anything you can imagine <laughs> is going to happen. And there's nothing to stop it. There was something to stop it. He was called Bernie Sanders. But Democrats decided that they would rather lose and everything that happens now is their fault. It's Hillary Clinton's fault. It's the whole media and political establishment that propped her up. If you want someone to blame for Roe versus Wade being repealed, it's them. But they're the ones who are, you know, going to be pointing fingers at everyone but themselves. So they will never admit that this is their fault. And that lack of accountability is in, you know, especially because all that the woke left ever talks about is, oh, we have to hold toxic people accountable for their actions. That's what cancel culture is, right? But they're the ones who need to be held accountable for <laughs> making right-wing populism 
powerful and inevitable as a political force. And so that fundamental hypocrisy is another reason that no one's ever going to take them seriously or listen to them. And that anything that they say, the people, for the most part, will do the opposite. And that's just going to continue. And they have nothing to offer uh, that isn't totally fake and empty. And everyone knows it. And if you want to, again, be part of right-wing populism, there's lots of space for it. And there's lots of money in it. Uh, So, you know, the moral bankruptcy of corporate capitalism is going to become more undeniable as people keep going bankrupt and homeless and starving and on and on. Uh, And all we're going to hear about is identity politics. Like, even though it isn't actually helpful to the mass of people to keep focusing on identity politics when they're in poverty, it's not going to challenge corporate capitalism or concentrated power in a real way. It's not going to improve the standards of living for the mass of people in a real way. But that doesn't matter anymore. The left chose this. And on some level, they knew that this was going to happen. They know that they're full of shit. There was the chance for materialist politics with Bernie Sanders, where he would actually challenge corporate capitalism and try to help the mass of people in a real way. But again, that's totally gone and will never come back. So this extreme right-wing shift that's happening, the repeal of Roe versus Wade, uh, this incredible right-wing shift that was unimaginable just a few years ago, it's just the beginning. And it seems like it's coming out of nowhere, but it's the result of the Democrat party choice to screw over Bernie Sanders, to steal the election from him. And once they did that, what we're seeing now became inevitable. And they will never come to grips with it. They're just going to use the repealed... Roe versus Wade thing, and so on, to try to drum up outrage. There's an article in the AP yesterday about this um, by Steve Peoples and Mike Catalini. The title is Dems Hope to Harness Outrage, Sadness After Abortion Ruling. Uh, So they're still just using emotional politics. So part of the article, it says, the Democratic president, Biden, called on voters to make their voices heard this fall. Roe is on the ballot, he says. So abortion's on the ballot, not minimum wage increase, not raising taxes on corporations and the rich, and the rich just Roe, that's on the ballot. They think that's going to en- energize people, and I don't think it will. People are fucking starving and dying in the streets. Uh, they have a, a quote from Democratic strategist Mo Alifi, during a meeting of a DNC subcommittee. He says, Democrats have a real opportunity right now to harness this anger, to harness this sadness. So they think that harnessing sadness and anger is going to be real politics somehow. But it's not. And everyone knows that, but, you know, it doesn't matter. So if they want to stop the right-wing shift... They have to take real actions. 
to stop corporate capitalism from sucking the life out of the American people, and that's what they will never do. They will ask the executives in charge of corporate America to be better and make better decisions and so on, as if the reason that things are so bad is because of individual corporate executives making bad choices, instead of the actual structural issues of capitalism being the cause. They will never look big picture, and so they will just keep losing. And it's hard to say if they are totally cynical about this or if they really believe it. Um, I think to a large extent, they do believe that their politics is, I don't know, revolutionary or progressive in a real way, even though it clearly is just a mask for corporate capitalism to wear. Uh, So they must know that on some level, that they're just producing all of this rhetoric for corporate capitalism to use to seem like it cares about people even though it doesn't. But on some level, you know, this is the bourgeoisie. The bourgeoisie was a revolutionary class. And so it's important to remember the history of capitalism. Capitalism was a revolutionary force. It overthrew the economic and social system that came before it, which was called feudalism. And so the bourgeoisie was the revolutionary class that fought against the aristocracy, the traditional, you know, lords and nobles and dukes and whatever that used to control social and economic and political life in Europe, um, you know, 300 or so years ago. Uh, The bourgeoisie, they weren't part of the aristocracy. They were a level below that. And they were revolutionary. They overthrew it. They established a system called capitalism that they were then in charge of. And then the proletariat sort of split from within the bourgeoisie. So there was this higher level of the bourgeoisie and the lower level, the workers. And so those are still the class distinctions that we have in society now. And I think the current bourgeoisie uh, still on some level have this sense that they are revolutionary because they were 300 years ago. (laughs) And they think that they still have that revolutionary mandate, that revolutionary uh, pedigree. And so there is this genuine conviction within them that what they're doing in terms of all this fake identity politics is somehow real change and real politics and progressive. But it's, of course, in the service of protecting the system of capitalism. And again, they think that the system of capitalism is revolutionary and that they are revolutionary because 300 years ago, it was. Capitalism was revolutionary 300 years ago and the bourgeoisie were a revolutionary class 300 years ago. Not anymore. (laughs) And hasn't been for a long time. Marx theorized all of this, you know, in the mid 19th century very long time ago. And this has all been totally clear since then. Um, Anyway. Okay. I think that's about enough. Um, Thank you for listening. I hope this was useful. Um, Let me know if there's anything else you would like me to talk about and see you next time. Bye-bye.